Right. So let's start with a couple of questions tonight. Apart from Jesus, okay, who is, for you, the most inspiring people, person, in the world? Someone that you would read a biography about, an autobiography, or someone that was really cool, and Superman's not one of them, right? Anybody? Martin Luther Jr., Martin Luther King Jr., or Martin Luther himself? Okay, cool. We got one. Who else? Who else? What, who else have we got? Okay, Roger Federer. Okay. Who else? No, Rafael Nadal. So, I want to start tonight as a bit of an introduction for what we're going to be talking about, Spirit-filled Jesus. And, uh, you know, we study the lives of people in the world that we think have had incredible impact. We study those lives, we go and we read up about, like, I love history, especially like the, the Anglo-Boer War history, how the Boers and so I love reading about these, these South African generals that go and, and they do these things on the battlefield and they, they kick the English butt. And we go and we read up about all these people and we think, what can I add to my own life? What can I do better in myself that people can remember me by? But if we read in Scripture, if we look at Jesus... He is the most incredible, most important man that ever lived in the beginning and in all history of humanity. And Jesus is rated as the most influential man that ever lived. He's the center of all, all history. Think about it. We have B.C., before Christ. We get to, to zero, and then what happens after that? It's A.D., They've got a special name for it. I can't pronounce it. Eh? Something like that. For me, it's after death. All right? <laughs> so Jesus is the center of all history. Do you know that? Who knows Napoleon Bonaparte? Who knows the history about him? Some of you guys? Right? They say that he was the tallest, shortest guy in history. Okay? Because he was a short guy who was one of the biggest emperors, one of the, the biggest, um, so the best soldiers, the best general, the best emperor, and even the best exile in all of history. But you know that he was actually a theologian. So then one day he had this discussion with one of his guys that came and actually spoke to him. And one of his guys came to him and he said, this was General Bertrand, said, I cannot conceive, conceive, sire, how a great man like you can believe in the supreme being ever exhibited himself to a man under a human form with a body, a face, a mouth, and with eyes. Let Jesus be whatever you please, the highest intelligent, the purest heart, the most profound legislator, and in all respects, the most singular being who had ever existed, I grant that. Still, he was simply a man who taught his disciples and deluded credulous people, as did Orpheus, Confucius, and Brahma. To this, Napoleon responded by saying, I know men, and I tell you, Jesus Christ was not a man. Superficial minds see a resemblance between Christ and the founders of empires and the gods of other religions. That resemblance does not exist. There is between Christianity and other religions the distance of infinity. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and myself, which was Bonaparte, founded empires. But on what, we do, but, but on what did we rest our creations and our genius? Upon sheer force. 
Jesus Christ alone founded his empire upon love. And at this hour, millions of men will die for him in every other existence but that of Christ. How many imperfections? For the first day to the last, he is the same, majestic and simple, infinitely firm and infinitely gentle. His purposes to our faith a series of mysteries and commands with authority that we should believe them, giving no other reason than those tremendous words, I am God. So picture this. Napoleon, this incredible general, this incredible emperor, says that Jesus is not just a man. And how did Jesus do this? How did he become the most incredible person that ever existed? See, we as Christians, we think of ourselves too much. And we think less of Jesus. Who thought about Jesus today? Who thought about Jesus yesterday? Who thought about him Thursday? What about Wednesday? For the students, when you were studying for a test, did you think about Jesus? No, you were thinking about math, right? But you see, what happens is there are five concepts in the world today that people believe about what they think Jesus was. And I will answer that question, how did Jesus do it, at the end of my sermon. So I want you guys to hang with me. It's a little bit technical tonight. But it's the introduction of where we're going. So many years ago, Kim and I, we were sitting in a community group in, in Somerset West. And one of the young guys stuck up his hand and he said to us, I, I think that Jesus was an alien. Anybody else ever heard that? Anybody think that Jesus was an alien? Anyone? No one here. Yes, you guys are all less like super cool, eh? You know that it's popular in the History Channel that they say that Jesus was an extraterrestrial that came into the earth and came and did a whole bunch of stuff. Um, it's true. There's even where guys actually believe that angels, that in olden days they go and do this whole thing in different religions and different empires and everything else where they've got pictures where they believe that these angels came and it's extraterrestrials came and taught us all how to become farmers because before then we were hunter-gatherers and we all wore little luppies with nothing else and our butt sticked out, was sticking out and we ran around everywhere. And when we wanted a woman, we grabbed her by the hair and pulled her into, into our cave with a, with a club. Right? That's what they want us to believe. And they tell us that Jesus was an alien. You know that Jesus never ever stated that he was an alien. But he stated that he was a God. He was God from another kingdom. Nobody says what Jesus said. There is no other religion in the history of the world where the founder proclaims himself as God. Not one. Let's read John 10, 33. We are not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy because you, a mere man, claim to be God. You see, Jesus wasn't killed for what he did. He was killed for what he said. Because you see, Jesus was the only man in history that called himself God. You know, God said to Moses in Exodus 3 verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. So right in the beginning of Exodus, God goes and he speaks to Moses and he says to him, I am. You see, Daniel wrote about the Son of Man. And he read and he re, and he wrote about this and he was saying that he saw someone like the Son of Man that came into history. 
And so Jesus goes, and right in the Garden of Gethsemane, when they come and they come to fetch him, and I preached about it a couple of weeks ago, where they came in to Gethsemane and they went to Jesus and they said, are you Jesus? And he said, are you Jesus, the Son of God? And he says, I am. So Jesus, in all of history, claimed to be God. Because why? Because he is God. You see, because in that moment in time, God came through Jesus and he entered human history to be a part of all of us. You guys with me still? Jesus calls himself the Son of Man 80 times in the New Testament. 80 times, the Son of Man. Mark 14, verse 61 to 64. But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. So Jesus goes and says, I am. And Jesus calls himself the Son of Man because, and in Revelation it speaks about that also John said, I saw someone like the Son of Man. Because Jesus, at this present moment, isn't spirit form. He is still physical. He was physical. He's always physical because he was a son of man. Because it was God coming into human history to become a part of who we were. Who humbled himself so that he could be a part of us. The second thing that people believe is that Jesus was an angel. This is quite popular amongst the Jehovah's Witnesses. They believe that Jesus is a created being from God. He's not the creator of all things. Jesus was not created. You know that the devil was created. He was created, who rebelled against God. But in the beginning, the Bible says in John 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So it means that Jesus was there from the beginning. So he was not created by God. He is God. Luke 24, verse 26 to 40. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while we talked with us on the road and opened the Scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking that they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do, you, why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he has said this, he showed them his hands and feet. So in that moment, Jesus comes and he appears to the disciples. He goes and he walks down the road with them and he says to them, It is I. I'm not an angel. I'm not a ghost. Imagine you've got a family member that passes away. And you're all sad and you do the whole funeral. 
And three days later, knocking on the door, and here's the oak standing by the front door. How would you feel about that? I'd be quite scared, I must be honest. But you see, Jesus comes, and he appears to all of these people. The Bible says that he appeared to over 500 people that knew that he was alive. And Jesus didn't just come like an apparition. He showed them his hands and his feet. Because you see, your hands and your feet are the most sensitive parts of your body. And crucifixion in that time was invented as the most painful way for people to die. It was the cruelest way for a person to die. Do you know how it worked? What they did was, and many times they actually say to you in the hands, but actually they never nailed you in your hands. Because if they did, it would pull out. It would pull out through your fingers. They nailed him through his wrists. Right here. Nailed to a cross. And what would happen is they would nail you through your feet. So it would be so incredibly sore. And what would happen is your whole body weight would be hanging down, and every time you've got to breathe, he had to literally lift himself up. And with his back being totally broken and bruised and actually just bleeding, what would happen is every time he would push himself up against the wooden cross, all those splinters would actually go into his back. And it was excruciating. It was the most painful way for someone to die. But Jesus did it for you and for me. And he said, he said to Doubting Thomas, stick your finger in the holes. Because I'm real. So Jesus was not an angel. Zechariah 12.10 And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication and they will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for the only child and grieve bitterly for him, the one who grieves for a firstborn. The Bible says that we will all look on the one that we have pierced. So Jesus is real. John 19 verse 37 and as another scripture says, they will look on the one that they have pierced. So Jesus will return one day as a person, flesh and blood. He will come on the clouds and we will look at him and we will see the one that we have pierced and we'll realize and we'll fall face down before him. The whole world, the Bible says every single knee will bow Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's incredible. Revelations 21, verse 1 to 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Then I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and you will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. So the day that Jesus comes and gets us and takes us to heaven, it means that God will live with us. We'll with, live with God and man. We'll live together. And it says further in that scripture that he will come and he will actually wipe your tears. There's many of us sitting here tonight that have cried many tears. Who's cried many tears in your life? Everyone. Many tears. But it says that Jesus will come and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things have passed away. So Jesus is going to come. 
with his nail-scarred hands, and he's going to wipe away every tear, everything that has happened in your life. Number three, what the world says to us, that Jesus was a good man, but he wasn't a God man. The world puts Jesus on the list of great humanitarian people, like Mother Teresa, Winston Churchill, and all of the other guys. People that have done, oh, Jesus did such great things. He healed so many incredible people. And what it does is it causes people to say that they respect and they appreciate Jesus. But they don't worship Jesus because they don't see him as God. Luke 18 verse 18 and 19 says, A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. So what did Jesus do there? He spoke to that guy and he said to him, you called me good. So what Jesus said was that only God is good. So that means that Jesus says that he's God, right? So that's why Jesus is good. Because only God is good. You see, sinners can't be good. We can walk around and say, I'm a good person. I've done great things. Oh, I've, given, I've given thousands and hundreds of thousands of rands to the poor. I've been a nice person. I've always loved my wife to the best of my ability. And God will say, really? Have you really loved me? Because we can do everything in the flesh, but are we truly good? As God is good. As Jesus is good. But Jesus is God. So therefore, He is good. Because Jesus says that He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but except by Him. There is no other way to Him. There's no other way to God through Jesus. It's only Jesus. It's only Him. Number four. You guys still with me? Does it make sense? Okay. Jesus was a man who became God. You know that that is an early church heresy. It was called adoptionism. That God came and he chose Jesus, and because Jesus was a good guy, he made him a God. Who's watched like all these movies? Uh, uh, Spider-Man, that's actually a good explanation. Spider-Man got bitten by some radioactive bug and spider, and suddenly he became Spider-Man, and he could do all that. And that's what the world, that was what they were teaching, even in the early church, was that Jesus got all these supernatural powers. Maybe he like fell in a well or something. Bumped his head and got some radioactive water and suddenly just became God. That's what people want us to believe. You know, it's, possi- it's, it's what they actually believe in New Age as well. You know how they believe this? Is they believe that Jesus was a man that evolved into a next level of spiritual level. And people believe that if you do it well enough, you can become like that. So you can become like God. And so therefore you can do what Jesus did. So therefore they believe that you become little gods. Scary, eh? But that is things that gets taught in the church today. You know that the Mormons believe this. The Mormons are the guys that believe that they can have a hundred wives. And then they can marry the hundred wives, have kids with the hundred wives, and then marry the children to have more children with the children's children. Okay? Quite scary stuff. So Joseph Smith is one of the founders, and he wrote this, and he said that God himself was once like us and is now an exalted man. So they say that man can become God. This is one of the greatest lies that was ever told. Genesis 3 verse 5. Let's go there. 
For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. That was the devil telling Eve that, deceiving Adam and Eve with the lie right in the beginning. And people believe this. That if I change my mind and I think about things differently, I can be like Jesus. It's a wrong understanding of who Jesus is. Because Jesus was fully God and yet fully man. The story of the Bible is this. It's that man cannot take on divinity, but it is God that takes on humanity. That is the story of the Bible. John 6, verse 38 to 42. I hope I'm not going too quickly through my scriptures for the ones taking notes. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who has sent me. And this is the will of him who has sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he had given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. And this, at this the Jews began to grumble about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we knew? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Because you see, the creator entered his creation. Because his creation was incapable of saving itself. And so Jesus came from heaven to earth. We cannot go up to heaven. The only way we do it is when Jesus comes and gets us. When he comes and fetches us on the clouds. We can't go and, and have a heavenly experience up there. It's God comes and brings heaven down. But it only comes when Jesus comes. When he steps in from the Creator steps into His creation. Number five. Jesus continually lived out His deity. That's one of the fifth things that people believe. You see, Jesus was fully God and fully man. And people believe that Jesus constantly, he lived so much as a God on the earth that we believe that we cannot do what Jesus did. So we cannot, we cannot do what Jesus did because we don't have what Jesus had. Because we think that Jesus was constantly living, nothing could touch him. And you know, that thinking comes out of Greek philosophy and they actually call it dualism and it means that the physical body is bad so if I ask Warren to come stand here by me so what they do is, is they believe that the body is bad so for Warren to get to where he needs to be we need to kill the body so that the spirit and the soul can be free so anybody want to come kill him would you like that idea? No. But you see, that was what they believed in the old Greek philosophy, is that the body is bad, so we mustn't look after our bodies. We mustn't exercise, which I'm not good at, right? We mustn't do anything to look after the body that God has given us, because we're almost like kind of trapped inside. Thanks, Bruce. So I want to ask you this question. Did Jesus ever get hungry? Huh? Did he eat? Did Jesus sleep? You see, humans do sin, but it's not a sin to be human. 
Jesus came down to us and became completely human. Yet he was the Son of God. Isaiah 53 verse 2 says, He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. So Jesus wasn't even good looking. He must probably look like Murray. So Jesus was not a good looking guy that you would want to actually spend time with him. He didn't have this incredible aura because you see people from the 1920s and even before then, what they did was to try, Christians tried to depict Jesus walking around with a halo all the time. So, so any of your kids have halos? The lilies? Bigger ones? No one? If your kid has got a halo, right? If they have a halo, there's something seriously wrong with that kid. Then they'll have to sleep with one eye open. But you see, Jesus wasn't any different to any other child. 1 John 4, verse 2 and 3. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledged that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. So Jesus came and became flesh. He wasn't a guy that walked around having a halo on his head. You know, everyone always jokes, you know, that Jesus, whenever his brothers did something, he would move it because he could. And like teased his brothers because he had like extra, he was always like the first oak in the rugby team. He always scored all the most tries because when everyone came, he just like shifted out the way. That wasn't Jesus. He was just like you and I. Jesus had to eat. Jesus had to drink. And you know that the book of 1 John was actually written to combat that in entire actual false belief that Jesus was a God that walked among us. Jesus was in the flesh just like us. And how do we understand this? I want someone's shoe. I want a shoe. Yeah, yeah, Shannon's shoe. I'll use this shoe. And this is the best way to explain. To actually understand this concept fully of who Jesus was, it's like tying a shoelace. To be able to tie your shoe properly, both shoelaces have to be exactly the same length. So to be able to do this properly, we need to take Jesus' divinity as God and Jesus being human like us, and we've got to take it and we've got to draw it together at exactly the same way and then tie it together because this is who Jesus is. He was both, but yet he was one. Does it make sense? I hope it's an easy enough explanation. We need to take both Jesus' deity and humanness, and we need to keep it in tension and actually pull it together. In 1 Timothy 2 verse 5, it says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. That's an incredible scripture. Because you see, mediation means Philip and Anilor, they have a fight with one another. And I'll use a very practical example. Philip, and, Philip is going on a bike ride with the 412 guys. So he's going on for how many? 4,000 guys, right? He's going to be riding a motorbike. And Anilor wanted to go with him. But Anilor cannot go with him because it's only for guys, right? So there was a massive fight between them. Well, not that massive, but 
I'm using it as an example, all right? So, so, so there's a massive fight between them to the point that Anna Law wants to throw pots at Philip. She wants to kill him. She wants to stab him at night in, when he's in his bed, all right? And they just can't see eye to eye. So come up here for me, please. I know, I'm making it, listen, I'm making it a lot worse than it is, okay? It's for example's sake. They, they, they absolutely love each other. There's no stabbing of knives and pots, all right? There's nothing of that. But now Philip and Anna-Law are so angry at one another that they cannot see through this situation. So what happens is they need a mediator. They need someone in the middle. They need someone that's going to be able to mediate by standing in the middle between them so that they can be able to see the different perspective. And so that is what Jesus was. Because on the one side, you had creation, and on the other side, we've got God. But creation was separated from God because of our sin. And so what happened was God came and he brought the mediator, which is Jesus, to come and to reconcile God and man once again. Because there was this incredible breaking of a relationship between God and man. You guys can sit. And what do we call that? We call that covenant. And Jesus says, I've made this covenant in my blood. So he paid the ultimate price so that we can be reconciled back to Jesus. You see, because God doesn't have to do anything for you and me. He doesn't need us. He's awesome. He's quite happy just to carry on doing whatever he's doing. But yet he does something incredible. He sends his son into creation in an incredible, in the right time in history. And he comes and he mediates and he brings us back to him. Because you see, this penalty for sin is death. And he makes his son the substitute for us, for the forgiveness of our sins. And he restores our relationship. And Jesus did it through humility. He didn't come as a warrior king. He didn't come as an emperor sitting on his white horse. He came humble to a manger. He lived in a little town where there was a well, maybe about 100 people that lived in the town. He was a carpenter. He did woodwork. That's what Jesus did. Philippians 2, verse 5 to 8. says, Your attitude should be the same of that of Christ Jesus who being in the very nature God, did not consider himself equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So Jesus didn't, didn't grasp all of that of God. He, it's, just, it's the most incredible thing that the God of all the universe, the God that had everything, he had a throne, he had angels, everything. He didn't count it. He gave it all up freely for you and me. He gave it up for us. Hebrews 2, verse 17 and 18 it says, for this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. And so Jesus came to us in humility. He became like us so that he can identify with us. And how does he do it? Who of you guys have been tempted this week to sin? Ooh, let's see who's brave to sin. Okay? There's a couple of hands. 
Do you know that if Jesus never came into history, you'd be like, how, how can I overcome this? But Jesus says that he was tempted in every way, so therefore he resisted, so therefore you can resist. Who's ever had a broken heart? You know that Jesus says he died because of a broken heart. Because his heart broke for you and his heart broke for me. People have portrayed and abandoned me and they've abused me. Anybody like that? Jesus says, I know how that feels. And I can comfort you and I can heal you from your brokenness. Because he was portrayed. Judas Iscariot portrayed Jesus. Peter denied Jesus. On the night that Jesus was portrayed, the night that he was crucified, all the disciples scattered. Everyone left him. There was no one. You see, Jesus, while he was on the earth, he retained all of his divine attributes, but he chose not to continually reveal them to others and not to show himself as being God. So what does this mean? God is all-knowing, but Jesus chose to learn like you and I. Luke 2.52. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So Jesus chose to study like you and I. God does not grow tired, but yet Jesus got tired. John 4 verse 5 and 6. Jesus does not own... He, sorry. You think what I wanted to say. So he came to the town of Samaria called Shikar, near the plot the ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. So Jesus got tired. But you see, Jesus goes and he reveals himself twice. In Mark chapter 4, it tells a story about where Jesus goes and he's with his disciples on the boat and he's sleeping. He's taking a nap and the storm breaks out. And the disciples starts running around and screaming and it's like, ah, what do we do? Go wake up Jesus. And they run off and they get to Jesus and he goes and he gets up and he walks out to the front of the boat and he looks out and he says, be still. And the storm dies down. And he goes and he reveals himself as the God of all creation. Because he was there in the beginning. And the Bible says to us that nothing was made that wasn't made through him. Because it was made for him. The second thing that Jesus does in Psalm 51, or Psalm... I'll read that now. Jesus forgives sin. Many times, people come to him, and Jesus goes, and he, he, people come, and then they ask him for everything, or they ask him to be healed. And what does Jesus do? He says to them, get up. Your sins are, have been forgiven. Your sins have been forgiven. Anybody, anybody want to forgive sins? Can anyone? Yeah, in the room. So Ivia told me a story the other night. He was talking about one day he was in the Netherlands, and he got to the he went for a tour in the in the red light district. Okay. So and in the center of this red light district, there is a Catholic church. Crazy place to have a Catholic church. So what happened was they they came up with a really good business plan. The Catholic church. So what would happen is all the sailors would come back from wherever they went, and they would get home and be very lonely. So they would be going into the red light district for a little bit love and tender love and care. And so what they would do is, is they would be so scared to sin that they would go to the Catholic church, and they would ask the father there if they could have an all-night pass. 
So they would pay for an all-night sin-free pass, and they could do whatever they wanted for that night, and it would be okay. So they made lots and lots of money. But no father, no mother, no uncle, no auntie, no, no one else can forgive your sin except Jesus. Because Jesus is the Christ. And Jesus did this for our benefit, not for his. And I'm almost done. How did Jesus do it? That was my question right in the beginning. And the Apostles' Creed says the following. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, and was crucified, died, and was buried. He is descended into hell. On the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he will come and judge the living and the dead. There's a problem with this. The Apostles' Creed. And they call it the Great Omission. They tell us everything that Jesus was, what he did, but they forgot to tell us about Jesus' life. The whole bit in between is missed out. What Jesus went through, what he did, how many lies he changed. And the thing is, is for us as Christians, it creates two problems in the church because people think that the Christian life really only begins in the day that you die. Because we as people on earth can't get there. But you see, just like Jesus, where they speak about him being born and about his death, they miss out the gap in between. You know that the gap in between in your life and my life determines where we go. Because the Christian life doesn't begin the day when we die. Or we go to heaven the day when we die. Heaven for us an eternal life begins the day that we give our lives to Jesus. Because it's the day that we give our lives to Jesus, it changes everything that we do. Because it's about every day until the last day. And how did Jesus do it? He lived by the Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit came upon him. Isaiah 61 we read it, it says that the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because He has anointed me. Jesus did everything by the Spirit. The Bible records in all four Gospels that Jesus did everything by the power of the whole, by the Holy Spirit. Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. He came in the power of the Holy Spirit. And you see, the only way that we are going to live the Christian life like Jesus did and be able to do what God has called us to do is when we allow the Holy Spirit and when we actually surrender. We have to surrender. And Luke three sixteen. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come. The thongs of those sandals I am not worthy to entire. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Holy Spirit and with fire. Jesus got baptized and the Holy Spirit came and rested upon him. And Luke eleven thirteen says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus did everything he did by the power of the Holy Spirit because he was the Spirit-filled Jesus. The Bible says that John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit from birth. 
And when Jesus came close, he leapt in his mother's womb because he, he felt Jesus. He felt the presence of Jesus. Jesus was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. And tonight, I wanted to tell you about who Jesus was, who Jesus is. That he's not some alien oak. He's not some human that got a consciousness through meditation. He was God, the creator, that came into human history because he came to his creation because he loved you and he loved me. And I want us to close our eyes. Lord Jesus, Father, we thank you tonight. Lord, we thank you that you came into our space. You came into our lives to identify with us. You came and you suffered. You came and you attempted. You came and you did all these things so that you could step into our space and walk with us through our things. And so, Father, tonight we come and we thank you, Lord Jesus, that there is none like you. Father, we thank you that you have been faithful, that you are wonderful, and that you died on the cross for us. But, Father, we thank you that you rose again. Thank you, Jesus, that you're alive, that you're not some angel that was created, but you are God. You are God, the King of all creation. And Father, we love you tonight. And we thank you, Lord, that as we, we work through this, and Lord, we, we understand who you are and the life by the Spirit, by Holy Spirit coming in and changing people's lives, being poured out on people. Father, how you can help us deal with our things, with our temptations, with our struggles, because you went through it. Father, we pray for your spirit to be upon us tonight, Lord, in an incredible way. And we love you, Lord. Amen. And amen.